0: Hi, my name is Alad Gross. Welcome to The Alad Pod, an online, uncensored town hall program designed to bring our government back to you. Every episode is a recording of our live show with special guests and questions asked by audience members like you. Today, we have Chris Arnotti, author of Dignity, Seeking Respect in Back Row America. We talk about his journeys all across America and to a whole lot of McDonald's where he spoke with Americans about the issues that they are facing in their lives. Thank you so much for coming. I appreciate you being here.
1: Uh, Thank you for having me. Where are you coming from? Where are you at Up, right now? Uh, upstate New York. So okay. about two mi- two miles two hours north of New York City. Great. okay. well, well,
0: thanks for taking the time uh, during this uh, socially distanced period in our history. Uh, but thanks for for coming to us uh, uh, from a different time zone already too. Um so yeah, so you are um you are now an author, and you know, at first when I was describing you for uh folks to watch and everything, and I was trying to think of a good title for you, uh it's really interesting because you've done so many different things. So if you could, could you could you give everybody, I guess introduce yourself a bit, um let us know what your background is and uh um we'll talk about, you know, why we've we've got you on the show, and I think
1: it's a very important topic for us to talk about. All right. Well, thank you again. Um I uh, I call myself a photographer and writer um, and so um, but prior to that prior to this incarnation of being a photographer and writer um, I was a banker for 20 years I worked on Wall Street and then prior to that I was a particle physicist um, and prior to that I was a kid growing up in a southern small southern town um, around uh, 2012 2011 I I um, was still a banker and I, um, was going on these long walks throughout, uh, the New York city. And I ended up stumbling into, uh, Hunts Point Bronx, which is the poorest neighborhood in New York city. Um, and, uh, what I found there, um, and what I ended up documenting there was, um, what I call the back row, um, which is, uh, uh, people who, uh, in, in, in this particular case, it was people who had um, literally almost been left behind, people who were homeless, people who were addicted to drugs, um, people who lived under um, bridges and um, in, 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 in abandoned cars. Um, and uh, I ended up actually quitting my job and spending three years um, writing and photographing um, addiction in the South Bronx. Yeah. Um, from there, I... Um, Spent the next uh, four years driving all across the United States. Um, I put 400,000 miles on my car, doing the same thing, going to neighborhoods and towns and communities that were generally dismissed, forgotten, um, left behind, whatever you want to call it. Um, And uh, what I saw in the Bronx um, and what I saw all across the country in these communities is what ended up becoming the title of my book called Dignity. Wow. Um, and so um, the book came out a year ago, almost literally exactly a year ago, and in it I tried my best to document um, a lot of the places I think a lot of people, um, policymakers, talk about but don't necessarily really spend a lot of time mm-hmm. listening to. Mm-hmm. Um, and for your listeners, one of those communities is uh, is in the Ozarks, it's, uh, Mountain Grove, uh, yeah. Missouri. yeah. No, that was really
0: exciting to get to it. Um, and I've got to say, this book, very good. Um, I It was delayed. I, I got this book for this interview because I wanted to be respectful, obviously. My wife was like, you better get this darn thing. Uh, but this, um, I started this um, only a few hours ago, and I'm almost done with the thing. And I was so excited. Uh, cause you, you actually spent some time, you spent some time in mountain grove. You were also in, uh, Cairo, um, in Illinois, which I, uh, you know, I, I know a lot of our viewers uh, are very familiar with, um, and not very far from the boot heel and from Cape Girardeau. Um, so I, you know, I'm interested, how, how did you end up, uh, how'd you end up going to mountain grove? What made you go there?
1: Um, you know, mountain grove was one of the, one of the last towns I went to over the, over the four years. Um, and I spend a lot of time looking at maps um, and looking at poverty maps, looking at um, addiction maps. But also, I ended up going to places that didn't get talked about a lot. And you know, I I, I remember driving, I think I forget the name of the road. I'm going to there, there's a road that goes right by Mountain Grove. I, it's, it's like a I think it's a state road. Mm. Um, and um, I just remember there being a Walmart and a McDonald's right off the um, off the road, and um, both attracted me. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I hadn't heard of Mountain Grove. I mean, I had never, you know, and the fact that I, you know, when when I Googled Mountain Grove, nothing really came up. For me, was a, a sign that um, it was probably a place that would, I think, you know, was probably being stigmatized or forgotten, or or um or hadn't been truly given the 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 proper um, look it deserved. Um, But you know, I also try to go to as many different regions as the United States as possible, and the Ozarks is one of the places that I would always pass through, and I would always, you know, be spend a few hours in a truck stop or what have you, and always be struck Mm -hmm. with how unique it was relative to the rest of the United States. How, how, how. Um, you know, it really fits a lot of what I was looking at, which are places that I think are wrongly stigmatized as, mm-hmm. um, you know, being kind of um, poor or um, left behind or forgotten and also in, – and in, 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 in badly stereotyped as well. Yeah. Um, you know, so – I, I, I quite enjoyed Mountain Grove, and I hope I did did the city justice in the book. Um, but the, the Ozarks itself is one of those regions that I think is really—I could spend more time in. It just pulls you in. It's it's got, it's got such a sense of place to it that's so missing in and so, so, and so many other places in the United States.
0: Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Yeah, and there's a lot—I mean, there's just a lot of beautiful scenery in that area, too. Um, actually, not far from— um, from uh, mountain grove. Uh, there's a town called Kabul, Missouri. Um, you know, our, our pronunciations around here, <laughs> KRO, Kabul. uh, but you know, it's part, it's part of, of, uh, really the identity of the place, which I, I, I kind of like a lot. I know some people are too happy with how we say Nevada or Versailles or Milan, but I'm a fan. Um, but actually when I was an assistant attorney general for the state, I did a lot of work with the department of corrections and uh, we had some folks who lived in a town not far from there, Kabul. And the big draw there was, uh, for us, at least for the folks we were interviewing, was the Dairy Queen. So it was interesting when I was reading through and what you just said now, where you were looking for McDonald's uh, around the country, it made me really think about the, the place when you were describing like the folks that you would see and people would be congregating. It really reminded me a lot of, of the Dairy Queen there. Um, what... You know, I guess how did you stumble upon finding out, you know, as, as like a hub because one of the, the central places that you visit is uh, – our, our McDonald's around the country. What made you go there versus, uh, I don't know, like a Dairy Queen or, or something else
1: I guess because there's just so many of them? Yeah, they're everywhere. And um, when my original work was taking place in the Bronx, you know, what I try to document in the book is how my, my view of McDonald's changed. Mm-hmm. I, I have this kind of framework I call the front row versus back row. And I think the front row is me, you. It's generally people who um, have a postgraduate degree or, or, or a lot of education versus the back row, which is people who, who, who are in contrast, go to community college or state schools. Um, and so what what struck me was how important McDonald's was to the people I was spending time with in Hunts Point, who were people at the very margins of society. You know, often people like myself, my old self, the banker self, would would, would make fun of McDonald's. Um, you know, for some for some justified reasons and some unjustified reasons. But it was kind of stigmatized, mm. and I only went there. To take my kids to the ball pit once in a while, but yeah. or when I needed a bathroom. But what I found out when I was spending time with, you know, people who are, who are literally living on the streets was that they use McDonald's as a as a community center. It was where they would go to wash up. It was where they would go to charge their phones. Um, but also, it was a moment to maintain to gain some dignity again because they could they could sit in a booth and kind of be part of polite society in a way that you know I, I often say if they had walked into a college campus the police would have been called on them but yeah. they can they can just sit there in the mcdonalds and and, and be part of society in a way that they rarely are afforded the opportunity. So I was spending a lot of time in McDonald's, but then I started noticing all the morning groups you know I mean there's a <laughs> big, there's a big morning group in Mountain Grove mm-hmm. you know about about 12 guys and, and not just guys um, 12, 12 people get together every day and there's even a plaque I don't know if it's still there in the Mountain Grove where there's a plaque that someone wrote a poem about the morning group and it's it's right above the table they all sit in the Mountain Grove oh, McDonald's but the, you know and then at night, there are kids um, who don't have a lot, whose family don't have a lot, who are sitting there playing their Game Boys or, or playing their, you know, are playing Fortnite. Um, you know, mm-hmm. because, of the, because the because the you know the, the uh, I can I can actually still tell you exactly where all the outlets are in the Mountain Grove McDonald's <laughs> because you know there, I think there's three of them and uh-huh. you know I would have to fight the I would have to fight the kids who are playing video games who who's you know they who don't have whose parents don't have good Wi-Fi at home they go to the McDonald's they sit there and they play their video games or they do their homework right. you know and and so those sort of things and I think. The cultural center, McDonald's becoming a cultural center for communities, I think is both, you know, is it's both charming at one level, but also I think it's a, it's a bit of an indictment of our society that we've mm-hmm. built, you know, that we that that we have to, you know, think, when you think about it, McDonald's are built literally for quick transactions, and yet they become places where people build communities and find friendships. And that tells you a lot about the fact that the communities the other forms of community have fallen apart. Um, such that people have to create community in McDonald's, one of the few yeah. places that works. Right. And I you know you, you you alluded to Cairo, um, yeah, you know, which I I can't pronounce the name of the town. You just said Cape What? Cape
0: Sure. Oh, Cape Girardo, Cape Girardo,
1: yeah. Cape Cape Girardeau is a place that everybody in Cairo kept mentioning as the mm-hmm. place they wanted to go, the better town. Um, sure. But you know, Cape G- Cairo does not have a McDonald's. Cairo does not sure. have a Walmart. These things that I think a lot of people we, and I, I include myself on the left, kind of look down on. Um, mm-hmm. But yet, when you're working class, they provide. You know, they provide a a lot, you know, he want these things, um, you know, again, like the, I, I and I think, I think, um, I think Mountain Grove has a uh, Walmart, but again, the Walmart yeah. parking lot is another place where, um, and I think it's on the other side of the uh, other side of the road, the McDonald's, um, <clears throat> on, on the North side of the, the road, I believe this the little state road. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, it's, it's one of those places that is, is quite, you know, if I want to, if I, if I want to meet the immigrant community in a town, I'll go to the Walmart parking lot, and that's where you know a lot of the Mexican Americans are. That's where a lot of the Somali Americans are. That's where a lot of the the people who are you know who are new to America spend their mingle with uh you know with 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 whites and blacks.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Yeah. I mean, Walmart. Walmart has become. It's really interesting. I mean, it just. It's, 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 it's itself, I mean, kind of a, a community event to go and see a lot of folks around there. It just, I, I, But it's kind of the reality of what happened because these big stores came in and for so many towns, and some, some still have them, but a lot of towns, you know, I, I've traveled a lot around this state in particular, not quite 400,000 miles Uh, Got to about 40, almost 42, not quite there before uh, the coronavirus hit just on this campaign then for a long time before that. Um, But it's it's interesting because just like how some towns have adapted, um, but around the courthouses, which is where I often go and check out to see what's happening, there's usually a ring Around the courthouses for small towns, and those used to have a whole bunch of businesses in them, and some still do. Some have a few that are left there, uh, but especially when WalMarts have come in, a lot of those small businesses are gone. Uh, or that, that's
1: right. Yeah, yeah. What I remember about what, what I remember about though was the downtown actually is mm-hmm. functional. Right. More, more, more than a lot of small towns, and that really struck me. I think there's even, um, you know. There's so many um, stereotypes that are wrong, um, like you know, Mountain Grove has a has a natural food store. I think it's um, it's it's actually near the near the plaza, you know, and um, so I think there's um, you know, I think there's a lot of stereotypes that are I think these mm-hmm. these towns are a lot more politically and um, culturally diverse and, than people realize. Yes. but but um, but Mountain Grove was um, you know, the downtown. You know, and I think I write about this in the book. Is um, the downtown, the park was actually a a functioning scene, Mm -hmm. the the center Center Park, um, the Town Square. But no, the McDonald's and Walmart's have have the, have had the effect of hurting the downtowns, and this is a problem. Um, But it's the reality we have now, and that's kind of the point of my book. Is like you know, I understand we want a different. I think a lot of people on the left would like a different a different world, but that's not the world that a lot of people are living in right now. Um, and they don't, they don't really have the luxury to, um, not go to McDonald's or Walmart. Right, right, right. So, okay. So you were,
0: you were here in Missouri. Um, you, you traveled, I mean, quite a bit and it it seems like, um, you know, based on the discussion, especially, um, you know, when you were comparing, your travels in the South versus the North uh, and when talking about race and how that's interacting with class quite a bit, obviously we, we, I mean, everybody who lives in America knows that for the most part. Um, But it seemed like, you know, you were seeing a lot of this conversation about, um, you know, explicit versus kind of underground racism uh, or limitations on, on folks there it seemed like you were seeing a lot of the same things today that folks have been talking about for a long time. Where it appears that in the South, you know, it's it's a, people know what's going on and they're very open about it if if there is an issue there. Um, but uh, oftentimes in some of the more northern towns where, where segregation has oftentimes been uh, first by law and now oftentimes de facto, um, that it's. That it's something that feels like folks are pretending like it's not there, or trying really hard, especially on the progressive side of everything. But it's it's very stark to folks who have to live it.
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, you asked me how I chose the towns. Part of the reason one one of the towns that factors a lot in my book is um, is Milwaukee, the black community, mm. the traditional black community in Milwaukee, North Side. Um, and I chose that, you know, intentionally because um, by many metrics, Milwaukee is the most segregated town in America. And I think we on the left have to really think about this because Milwaukee, um, you know, there was a period when it had a socialist mayor even. You know, it's, it's a pretty strongly left—I think, you know, there there are many leftist traditions in Milwaukee. And yet, you know, one of the things that came out of my book that I expected a lot more pushback on, or at least I, uh, I was surprised by and I expected other readers would be surprised, was— you know, I spent a long time talking to elderly African Americans, elderly blacks in Milwaukee, who had come. You know, the story of being black in Milwaukee um, is one of, for, for, for those over the age of 60, is having grown up in Mississippi, and uh, come come north for the jobs, often at the age of 19, 18, 20, mm-hmm. in, in the in the late 40s, early 50s. Um, and then having been – being conf- you know given job opportunities but being literally confined to one neighborhood, which is the north side, which had secondary everything. Um, and so you have these these individuals who had grown up and, – and they still go back to Mississippi almost every year because they still have family there. Right. So you have these people who, who grew up during segregation in the south um, – many who are literally cotton pickers um, as as children and as young adults and whose parents were or, or sharecroppers who moved to Milwaukee, Milwaukee to, 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 to build a life. And it wasn't clear, you know, if you read the book, it wasn't clear when, when I asked the question, you know, is it better now or is it better then? You know, I mean, there was a lot of hedging of like, you know, it's equally bad. Mm. And uh, I think that's a pretty strong and, um you know, yeah. that's not saying that it wasn't bad then, that's saying it's still very bad now. And I think I expected there to be a little bit more people saying, Wow. <laughs> right. You know, if if if, if they're saying that you know, if like, you even said it was preferable, and I, I'll 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 I'll, I'll notch that up to nostalgia, mm. but meaning that they were saying that the racism, at least when I was growing up, was explicit, and you, and you knew where people stood. Whereas here, it's kind of behind your, it's all done. You know, they 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 talk a good game, but then they don't deliver.
0: Yeah, yeah, I think it's, you know, and and now running for an office but seeing, you know, how parties are working and folks are showing up or not showing up. It's, you know, I've, I've worked with kids for a long time, so folks who have been watching this before, I've been teaching for uh, over 13 years now um, in St. Louis City. And, you know, for me, one of the, one of the more harmful practices is, is folks coming in and making all of these promises and then not fulfilling them. And I feel like in some ways, in many ways, well, I mean, I I think a general just is, but that's worse than just not doing it in the first place. And I think we're seeing that in so many parts of our country where, um, you know, folks are, they're pretending to do one thing. They're pretending to do it for the right thing, but then the follow through is never there, especially when it comes to, unfortunately, folks in our government who, uh, say a whole bunch of stuff, show up right before an election, then pretty much disappear and, uh, you know, then they they remember you right before they need your vote again.
1: Yeah, one there. of the you know one of the the biggest segment of people in my book is non-voters, people who don't vote, mm-hmm. and um, awesome. most of them, you know, I, I call I call their attitude what I call a justified cynicism. Um, they feel, and to excuse my language, they feel screwed by both parties. They feel screwed that um, you know, and I, I heard this. You know, one of the things that was interesting was, and it feels so long ago now, but um, um, when, when the election happened of 2016, it was kind of interesting. I think there was a total of 116 counties that voted for Obama twice and then went to Trump, you know, places I call OOT counties, Obama, Obama, Trump. I, I realized I had gone to like 40 of them, um, and it wasn't intentional, is was because hmm. I was, you know, it was going to places where um, that had high poverty rates, high, high drug addiction rates were, quote, left behind. And, you know, what I heard—and these, and these counties were not—these counties were pretty diverse. Um, you know, places like Robeson County, North Carolina, which, you know, whites only um, constitute about one-third of the state of the county— um, and what was interesting is I heard this, some variation of this this phrase from African-Americans from blacks countless times was a form of, well, you know, I voted for Obama, but nothing really changed. Mm. And this isn't, I am not blaming Obama and I'm not blaming them, you know, I'm not saying black Americans failed us um, voters. Uh, what I'm saying is there was a, there was this, this there's this real sense of frustra- this frustration with a system, with a status quo, yeah. that got um, that got uh, um, put in put in a framework of I'm uh, just I'm I'm just not going to vote. And I think one of the things that, you know, and and I I don't dare I don't want to be presumptuous to tell you how to run your campaign, obviously. But what I'm saying <laughs> Why is, is everybody does. It's fine. <laughs> I, I guess what I'm saying is is you know you got to give people a reason to get out. Yes. You know? Um, it, I think there's this, and I I would never want to tell someone not to vote, but I think I, I I understand the non-voter better than I think a lot of people do, and I and I and I understand where they're coming from and the hurdle that has that has to the the activation hurdle that has to be um, clear to get people to come out and vote. Right. I mean, if you, if you see
0: the thing ain't working for you, why even waste the time doing it? That's right. That's right. right.
1: Especially if it's especially if it's if it's if the voting is kind of um you know, reminds you of institutions that haven't hurt that that have screwed you over in the past, yeah. like the courthouse, the schoolhouse, um, you know, and then, you know, the or, you, you know, you vote and nothing changes and you end up having jury duty, you know. It's right. Like, yeah,
0: <laughs> right. Exactly right. Uh, I mean, when you talk about the courthouse and, and especially in the conversation about Milwaukee, it reminded me a lot of uh, uh, the work of uh, Matthew Desmond in Evicted. And he looked at specifically in Milwaukee. And one of the you know, busiest court dockets, unfortunately, in the country um, are eviction dockets. And that's where you can, you know, you hang out over there. You go see a lot of people real quickly and you're going to hear a lot of stories very fast, too. Um, but that's I mean, those kinds of things are happening all over. Um, and now one of the big the one of these competing court dockets, at least up until um, this virus broke out and we've kind of. held off a little bit here in Missouri, but especially in more rural areas, um, debt collections, especially for healthcare, uh, because folks don't have the insurance. Missouri is one of the states that did not expand Medicaid, so that access isn't there for a whole bunch of folks. Um, And uh, hospitals, especially rural ones, uh, aren't making the money uh, to even stay afloat, and so they're going to court. And, you know, I, I think people... People, especially if you can get through that situation, uh, or if you've had to go and you've had a negative experience there, I mean, you start to say, "Well, this is what the government is doing," um, and it's just, you know, another reason for me not to participate because it's not for me, right? It's that, always that's against right. me.
1: That's right. Again, it's a, what I call a justified cynicism. It's like yeah. this, you know, it's like all these institutions have screwed me over. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just a tangle of bureaucracy and a tangle of rules, a tangle of bad. Yeah. Like, why, you know, like, you know, and, and I think one of the things that's frustrating to me is in the in the current discourse, um, in the political discourse, is the degree to which we assume people. Um, have the same information that we we people we we in the front row have, mm-hmm. that you know that we're always on Twitter, that we're always fighting over whatever, and that we're always informed about whatever. Right. When I think a lot of people take a more a more kind of um, detached view of politics, which is, um, you know, there's, a, there's both from a cynical perspective and also just from a very busy perspective. You know, you mentioned the eviction thing, you know, um, Matthew, Matthew and Desmond was was in Northside, Milwaukee, the same neighborhood I spoke about. And, you know, people, people, especially lower income people have a lot on their plate. They're, they're juggling a lot of things um, like, you know, court evictions, et cetera, et cetera. And uh, politics is something that, you know, they don't have a lot of time for. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of why, you know, that's what we're here for. That's what the, the political class has claimed. that This is our, we got it, we'll take care of it. Yeah. Um, and But we haven't. And, you know, I liken it to kind of, you know, the way I think about how people think about politics is the NFL, uh, sports, you know, sports. Um, most people attachment to the NFL, a lot of people's attachment is they pay attention once a year around Super Bowl and maybe for a few hours. Um, but the people on Twitter are kind of like people in the, you know, in the parking lot of game day parking, lot of like, you know, um, the, jet, the Jets versus the Bills. Um, and, you know, the pundits and the people on TV are kind of like the same, the Sunday morning shows, you know, most people don't really pay attention except for, once every, you know, four years, or once every year. And you have to give them a reason to pay attention. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, I mean, it's, there's a town, it's not too far from, uh, mountain Grove and it's got a similar name called mountain view. And there's a, uh, um, uh, a family there. I've actually gotten to stay with uh, a few times now. Wonderful. Um, but, uh, the, uh, uh the man, came to Jefferson City to testify about uh, Medicaid expansion and as well, not just Medicaid expansion, but just Medicaid and the administration of it. Um, And he has spent a lot of his time in the community. There's a, um, um, you know, I mean, health care to offer for free, but especially dentistry, that's sometimes it's not available at all. Uh, But he's, you know, worked with a doctor to bring folks in and, and try to help people get care, And uh, we had a problem in this state where we were kicking um, wrongfully a lot of children, especially off of Medicaid. It was some mess up in the system or whatever, but it was a lot of tens and tens of thousands of kids. Um, And so he was talking to uh, a family uh, about the health care and, you know, being able to access Medicaid and everything else and then finding out they were wrongfully kicked off. It's like, oh, you should apply and get back on again. And the response was, well, no. And he said, well, why not? I said, I mean, this is just something that happens to me. Just like that thinking, like even though that was like in a, a possibility, but thinking that no, I mean, like I just like you said, I just keep getting screwed over. I mean, that's just another thing for me to jump through. That's not even worth the time, that's despite right. what it would be. Right. So.
1: I mean, you know, and and again, I think as I I don't know what what level education you taught, what years did you teach? So,
0: <laughs> so I had a nonprofit that I was running and I've taught, uh, from as young as kindergarten, sometimes a four-year-old if they could speak in a complete sentence to me, um, actually
1: up through college, but primarily, uh, through the high school level. So, so I mean, you know, that also for a lot of poor working class kids, the kid is often tasked with being the adult in the family. Yeah, right. And so, um, you know, to help the parent juggle all all those obligations, yeah. and to keep the parent from becoming too cynical. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, you know, and I and so I I think um you know it's it's unfortunate that, um you know you talk about the eviction notices I I've known many kids who, you know young teenagers who skip school because they have to make sure the parent goes to the court date so they don't get evicted. Um, And partly the parent is suffering from the cynicism issue Mm. of uh, just like, there's just too much, man. Like, uh, you know, and it's the kid who ends up having to be the one who's non-cynical. Right. So um, it's, it's a very frustrating um, cycle um, that, um, you know, again, I think it's it's uh, we, we in the front row, the, the policy class, I think needs to have a little bit more empathetic understanding of how hard it is to be poor. Yeah. Yeah. And I think one of the
0: big things that, and I'm sure you've seen this, uh, but one of the big issues, at least to me, is that folks aren't showing up. It's really easy to ignore communities like that, not go to them, not visit, not listen. And when folks don't vote because this is the system we've created and there's less of an incentive to do that because who cares that we don't even hear those voices. And uh, it's, you know, it just seems like, I mean, it seems like a, a, a cycle in itself, a very negative feedback cycle that continues to disenfranchise people in our country.
1: Right, I think you know um, again, I think you have to um, you know in, in a in a strange way in a way that in, in, a, in a way that I wish it hadn't happened, but in an effective way, Trump got through to some of those people um, he, he you know he gave that he you know it was actually in Cairo um, of all places where um, if you've been to Cairo have you been? Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know where the two the little you know the little tower at the very tip where the Missouri and Ohio rivers hit I do yeah yeah so I was at the top of that thing and there was a <laughs> there was three people there um, and it is actually almost like a bit ad. it was a, an African black kid a white kid uh, kid they're like 40 years old and, and um, Hispanic and they're all just hanging out um, smoking weed um, you know and and um, the guy for the first time in his life voted for Trump. he had never voted before. Hmm. And he voted for Trump because he was like, you know, he, f- he said, that's the first time someone motivated me to like, you know, make me care about now the Tory t- story took a really ugly turn. Um, because, um, he also ended up getting brain cancer, um, uh, you know, two months after, after the election. And he, um, was, um, uh, he was saved by the fact that he was in um, their state had Medicaid, had you know yeah. Medicaid, and so he he had realized that he had made he, he felt like he had made a mistake voting for Trump, because he felt like you know he didn't realize the the, the health care issues, um, and I think you know a lot of people when I when I talked about that get, have a hard time understanding that whole issue, but if you spend a lot of time around working class or poor people, you, I mean a lot of people scolded him for not knowing the issues, but you know that's not honestly that's not really your job I mean, mm. you know you you know you but in, in he he you know he but trump spoke to him in a way on um on issues that were you know he i often say and, and and again i say this on the left and it's frustrating to me that trump was one of the first people that came in there and didn't talk down to people mm. um you know who who didn't um who did who who you know and and said basically okay i'll hear you like as opposed to saying well actually you know you probably should move or you probably should um you know you should probably you know learn i I think i guess the joke online or the nasty joke online is learn to code um you know but basically you you should you you should leave your town and get out and you Mm -hmm. should do something different he didn't he didn't say that um you know what he what he said was in my mind um uh akin to a scam, but at least, at least he didn't, he didn't tell them you're wrong.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, you know, it's, it's really been interesting to me to be in the middle of this and see it, but it, it seems like folks, especially in the, in the political realm, uh, struggle a lot with communicating effectively to people. And I, I, I feel very strongly, um, that that's because they, they don't know who they're talking to in a lot of, lot of ways. So, you know, they, on Twitter, I think Twitter is a great example. Twitter is quite a bit of a bubble, um, where you've got, I, I think that was, that was a just, that was a great example. I'm probably going to steal that. I'll, I'll cite you. Don't worry. But don't worry. You can steal it. It's great. I mean, it's great, but yeah, I mean, people are, are freaking tailgating politics on Twitter. Um, but, but in in real life, you know, if, if that is the world that you get absorbed into, um, and it's just like, you know, when I was in law school and I'd come from teaching literally just like, hey... Bye, kids, it was you know great hanging out, and then go to my first day and almost quit on my first day as a result of that. But but the language is so different, and I think if people don't, even if they came from from a place before, it's really easy to forget when you're absorbed in this new uh, uh, right. aspect or side of society if you're never going back and you're never well, listening to folks. Yeah. What
1: I say is. Um I say there are two languages the front row and the back row speak two different languages and um you know, it's, it's taken me a while to realize that. Um, and, um, it, it, we communicate two different ways. We have two different philosophies of life. Um, and I, and I'm, I'm afraid what's happened to us elites to use that phrase, mm-hmm. um, is that we've become so the people, the people who make policy have become so detached from the lived reality of the of the people who have to live the policy we make. And I, I don't think it's, you know, unlike a lot of people, I don't think we're detached. I don't think the front row, the policy class, the elites are detached um, out of bad, out of bad, out of bad intent. Mm-hmm. I think they're actually well intended. I think they feel they really do feel like they're doing the best they can, and they really do have good intentions. I just think the problem is they've become so removed from the people that they're making policy for. That I think in many cases they're doing damages. They're doing damages because they don't under, they don't understand that language. Um, you know, I, I you had that place where you were teaching. Um, you know, people who were who were um, who were. Struggling and then going to law school at the same time, living living those two different worlds at the same time, and I had a period when I, you know, was literally working as a banker while at the same time on on weeknights and, um, you know, in some spending my time under bridges and crack houses with people, and it was just you know it was just jarring, and I remember during my four hundred thousand miles around the United States, I would go on Twitter, you know, I, I, going back to Mountain Grove, I remember. You know, I would quote live tweets some of the conversations I would have, and um, it was just it was just stunning the difference between what I was seeing in Mountain Grove on the ground, or in Cairo, or in El Paso, or East LA, or Portsmouth, or Milwaukee, versus what was the discussion on Twitter. And I, I was, I, at some level, I just had to quit Twitter because, and I quit for like 20 months because I just couldn't handle it anymore because... I kept wanting to tell everybody, "You're insane. You're missing. You know, you don't know what's going on in your own country." Mm-hmm. And, I, and I didn't want to be that person who was just yelling at everybody all the time because I really do think, <laughs> I think the discussion on Twitter is generally well well intended. Like I, even even the people I don't particularly like on Twitter, I I think. You know, I just wish they would go out and spend, you know, six months in Mountain Grove or 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 five months in North Side, Milwaukee, and then I think they would see see a little, They would see things slightly differently.
0: Right, right. Yeah, no, it's uh, no, it's really interesting because I've known some people who have taken a break from Twitter, have come back, or whatever it is. But um, you know, in this in this time where it seems like with all of this technology, we can be so much more connected um, in a lot of ways, um, that's not actually happening. Like it's, it's actually in some ways it's, it's, and maybe, you know, I guess you got to learn through it, right? Cause a lot of this stuff is newer and you know, whenever you look at, at history, you look at different kinds of revolutions and you know, they start off pretty tough and then you, you adapt and you figure out how it works. But it just seems like there's a lot of opportunity there. Uh, you know, one thing I, I wonder about, um, that we have a problem with, uh, in Missouri, and I know a lot of other states do too. Is but uh, the the lack of access to uh, high speed internet. So on this show, for example, um, you know I've invited a bunch of folks that I've gotten to meet to come on, and uh, always asking, would would you be able to do it? Uh, because I know just like uploading a video or, or or having that kind of interface is is darn near impossible with with what access is out there. Um, you know, I wonder if anybody if, did you see that in your travels a lot. I know McDonald's has Wi Fi, but I don't know if uh, I mean obviously folks are congregating there for, for a reason.
1: Yeah, I mean I saw that all the time. Yeah. I mean you know people literally, you know, they're often when McDonald's is closed, you'll see people in their cars um, in the parking lot um, just sitting there with their laptops or their phones. Um, within Wi-Fi distance of the McDonald's, so that they could they can use um, you know school kids, countless school kids I met in the McDonald's who were there because they don't have Wi-Fi at home or the Wi-Fi uh, you know. So I think it's and 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 even very rundown communities and very frust. The Wi-Fi often didn't work in McDonald's, you know, um, uh, or or was sporadic, and that was a real problem. And you know, it really like it really caused you know that when when the Wi-Fi went out in McDonald's. You know, um, uh, it it was worse than when, <laughs> when when the ice cream machine went out. You know, so <laughs> right, um, right. you know, but so no, yeah, it, it, high high speed Wi Fi is a real problem, um, and especially now, when, you know, again, when as call, as schools pivoted to being online, mm-hmm. like you know, I my first reaction when I heard it was, well, that's great, but you know, <laughs> that's not going to work for everybody.
0: Right, right. It's it's in a lot of ways because. So much of our investment has been tagged to certain communities over others. Um, You know that that exacerbates the the division, and I think it exacerbates the feeling of because you literally are being left behind. Like we did not care enough to put that infrastructure in your neighborhood in your area. I mean, I've seen that a lot where kids are doing that um, around schools and libraries too in the St. Louis area. Um, You know, you have a phone that doesn't you get access when you're on the internet, but nothing else. So, um, yeah. I ha- so this comment came in from Debbie and I'm going to put this um, up on here. Hey, Debbie, thanks for watching. Uh, but Debbie says, disinformation is an issue uh, using against the people. So one thing, um, you know, I know that uh, folks are seeing a lot of, and actually I was just having a conversation with somebody about this, uh, is uh, the access to media, access to information, because now so many especially local newspapers, um, local journalism, it's struggling. And now, I mean, goodness gracious, especially right now, Um, and folks have had to fold up uh, and where you get your information from, especially if your internet's not great um, or if you've got corporations that own a whole bunch of these things and are slanted a certain way, that's where your sources of information are coming from. Uh, I mean, did you have uh, going around the country, is that something that you saw in different areas too at all?
1: Yeah. I mean, I think, um, how people get their news is very different based on where you're at. You know, I mean, I, I, I remember actually, and again, a lot of my work was taking place during the 2016 election is, um, you know, there were McDonald's where there were two, two TVs. One was on CNN, the other was on Fox Mm. and, um, the camps were divided. Um, you know, you had a you had a table that was filled with Democrats watching the CNN broadcast, and you had a table filled with Republicans watching mm-hmm. the Fox broadcast. And I think you know, people came away with two. You know, I think we've reached a level now where um, there is two realities. You know, I remember when I was um, doing work in Venezuela um, uh, during the rise of Chavez people talked about there being two realities. You could see there'd be a, something would happen and then there'd be two entirely different stories about what really happened mm-hmm. the next day. And I think that's happening in the U S to some degree. Hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, even, even, even folks who are able to access, all, <laughs> whether it's cable or anything else, I mean, goodness. Uh, it just feels like, I mean, they're they're because they're making money off of it, right. They're able to cater mm-hmm. to, to, to people and, and, hyper-partisanship and all of this stuff—it makes money, so it's entertaining, I guess. But um, yeah, you know, I—I I, uh, I know this is this is probably a question you get all the time, um, and it's one that I—it's I, not really super fair for you, but unfortunately, there there aren't many folks who have done what you're doing. Um, there there aren't many folks who have gone around and spent that time and been intentional about saying, you know. High um, and just listening to people, right? I, I, you know, from my perspective as an attorney and as somebody who's doing this work, um, I just feel like advocacy is so important. And when you look at the number of folks who can't access that, whether that's literally in court, um, where most folks, the vast majority of folks cannot afford an attorney um, for those particular personal issues, or whether you see that in our government uh, on issues or whatever it might be. Um, but But you, in taking this time and in really highlighting uh, other people's voices, is there something that you would like to see um, our governments doing, whether that's local, uh, statewide, federal? Is there something that you have taken away from them that you said, man, if you all were just listening to more people, um, you would really be looking at doing this?
1: Less bureaucracy. Mm. Um, um, you know, um, there's, our government actually does a lot for people. Um, it's just uh, hard to access um, and especially hard to access for, for the reason we talked about earlier, which was the Wi-Fi issues amongst everything. But, it's, you know, you can help people, um, but do it in the easiest way possible. Um, so all, all the all the all the hoops people have to jump through to get help, all the hoops people have to jump through um, when the, when they're entangled with the law, it's just it's just complex and um, it's just a bunch of institutions that are to to, to feel very soulless and end up di- di- taking dignity away from people. Mm-hmm. You know, um, one of the things I end up unfortunately did um, in my in my work was I spent a lot of time in the Bronx commun- Bronx courthouse um, following. You know, people through their cases, and it was just—it was just, you know, it was just painful to watch Um, the bureaucracy, the 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 confusion. um, You know, and again. With, with you know for with people who were doing their best to help the, the legal aid people and the Bronx defenders but it, it, they were just overwhelmed there wasn't the resources um, and there was just so much red tape so I think the you know, same thing with getting people through detox getting them into hospitals getting them um, getting them snap benefits all these things so it was just the complexity issue mm-hmm. I think really makes you know it's, it's almost like I think if policymakers had to actually act, use the programs that they they set up, <laughs> um, they they would they would set them up differently.
0: Right? Yeah. I mean, we talk so much about uh, UI or user interface for websites, for apps on our phones, but we really aren't talking enough about that in our government. You know, I I, I totally agree. Um, yeah, you know, access is, is so important. And, you know, one of the things that we've been really focused on is not just saying, oh, you know, you should come vote for this guy or that person or whatever. It's like, here's how your government works, and here's how you can get services from it, and here's who to call, and here's what the number is. But, you know, so many people need that help. I think, you know, doing that on a systemic level would be – much more effective than just having one guy run
1: around in a broken car. <laughs> yeah. I mean, <laughs> yeah, I, mean, I, I, I yeah. was literally, you know, the, at nights I spend my time in McDonald's helping people yeah. access web pages. Mm hmm.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, you know, I really thank you for everything that you've done. I really right. thank you for, for documenting all of this. Um, the book again, I've got it right here. It's called dignity. Uh, we've got a link up. If you're watching now, uh, you can find the book, I mean, you can find this just about everywhere. Uh, if you can, try to get it at your local store, your local bookstore, instead of the big ones, for all the reasons we just talked about. Uh, but I appreciate you being on. Do you have any any words of wisdom that you'd like to share with everybody else that we haven't gotten to yet?
1: Um, I just would say, you know, again, I hope the message of my book is: um, before you uh, judge somebody, or and especially before you judge a group of people, you know, I think the old adage goes: walk walk a mile in their shoes. Um, uh, I think the you know, I'll, I'll update it to say, maybe share, share a 15 minute coffee with them at McDonald's. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I, th- and I think you're, you know, you, you'll give them more context and more understanding about why maybe they're doing what they're doing. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Well, I, I hope, uh, I hope people do that. I also hope that McDonald's starts to sponsor you at some point because uh, <laughs> <laughs> the place that you've got to go to, uh, well, thank you so much for coming on. I really appreciate everything that you're doing. Um, and thank you. Thank you for being here. Thanks for joining us on the Allad Pod. You can participate in future town halls and see all of our past ones at alladgross.live. You can reach me there too, and I'd love to hear your ideas. For now, this is Allad Gross, and I'll see you on the next Allod Pod.